Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Talking Sports with Evan. I am Evan Watalison, waiting to be joined by Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network. I'm going to be joining momentarily to talk some new Bucks head coaching and Adrian Griffin and his coaching staff that he's starting to put together and also some Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton having some knee surgery. Uh, going to be curious to see what impact that might have with Chris Middleton going into the, uh, this coming season and then some latest contract um, potential with him and possibly bringing Brooke Lopez back. Like I said, I am waiting for Justin to jump on and join, but I figured I'll jump on while we wait some things to talk about while we wait for him. The Milwaukee Brewers are been red hot lately. The Brewers uh, took the reds three out of four and then took the, uh, then took two or three from Baltimore and good baseball from the Brewers overall. Unfortunately, their bullpen kind of gave it away today. The Colin Ray had some outstanding starts lately, had it once again today. And unfortunately he ended up not getting the win, got a no decision because the bullpen gave up five runs in between the eighth and the ninth inning. So, my biggest concern right now with the Milwaukee Brewers is that back end of the bullpen minus Devin Williams. And maybe Matt Bush goes into that role when he comes back from his IL stint. But hopefully he can be back to his form from uh, his Texas days when he was a pretty good and pretty dominant uh, bullpen guy back into the bullpen. And my, my my hope is is that whatever that answer is, they figure it out because at this point, that worries me because you can have Corbin Burns, who pitched an incredible game yesterday, leave after the seventh or eighth inning just to wa- watch the bullpen give it away. And they gave up three runs yesterday, too, and I know it was a game that didn't really matter. They were up 10 to nothing going into the ninth, and... On June 7th, 2008, uh, 2023, I'm perfectly fine not going to Devin, you know, not having Corbin Burns go nine um, when you're up uh, when you're up 10, nothing. No reason to put him in in the ninth inning to get the complete game. Just no reason for it yesterday. Um, Devin Williams, fortunately, didn't get a chance to use him because he went in the ninth inning down uh, six to three instead of being tied or in the lead. so. But overall, Joey Weimer been playing some great baseball so far in the month of June. He's gotten red hot. Brewers had a very tough May. Very tough to watch the Brewers in May, might I add. It was tough. The very ugly baseball transpiring. And now, so far in June, the Brewers are starting to play some pretty good baseball again. Beating, like I said, three or four from the Reds, two or three from the from the uh, from the Baltimore Orioles, and now they have uh, the Oakland Athletics, the owners of the worst record in baseball. But they've gotten a little hot right now themselves, coming into AmFam Field this weekend, 
be interesting to see if the Brewers can continue their their hot June. Big thing is um, Willie Adamas came off the IL, and he's been hitting the baseball pretty well since coming off the IL with the concussion. Big problem I have, though, is Luis Urias. He seems like a great locker room guy. But the problem I have is Urias is not have a does not have a good bat. He is 0-4 on the seasons such coming since coming off the IL. Didn't have a hit in week one, and he has been uh, not good so far since he's been off the IL. So he worries me. He had an, a big error today um, that led to a big crooked number in the eighth inning. He worries me a lot, and I wish Bryce Terrain would have owned the second base position while uh, uh, Urias was on the I.L. because it would have made a decision a lot harder for the Brewers if they brought what to do with Urias, if Terrain offensively would have secured the position. But Terrain has not been good, so he got sent down to Nashville when Adamas came back, and Urias... You know, he's a good utility guy, good locker room guy, but he just makes some boneheaded plays in the field sometimes, and it gets extremely frustrating to watch Urias. And as I promised, going to be bringing in um, Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network. Justin, how's it going? Evan, pretty good. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. It's been a while since I've gotten a chance to talk to you because the Bucks season, unfortunately, ended prematurely. So it's been a while. <laughs> so... Yeah, but that's kind of, you know, obviously the reason I wanted to get you on, the Bucks did finally hire a new coach in Adrian Griffin, and he had his press conference this week. And just kind of want to get your thoughts hearing the, the press conference from earlier this week, what he had to say, and what are your thoughts on Griffin in general? Are you there? I'm here. Yeah, I think I think I must have broke up a little there. Uh, I didn't catch what you said, so I guess we'll start over here. Yeah, well, Adrian Griffin, gets he had his press conference this week. I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that and then Adrian Griffin in general. Well, I, I think, you know, overall, there were some encouraging things from the introductory press conference from Adrian Griffin. Uh, I think it's way too early to, to read anything into it and say, well, overall takeaway is positive, but um, he was an interesting name. I think from the get go, it was when his name popped up, I, I think it, it raised some eyebrows with Bucks fans because we'd spent so much time talking about where do you go when you replace a coach that won a championship? And I think a lot of us assumed, well, you're going to have to bring in a guy that has a decent amount of experience, especially with a team that is built to to continue to win now, and that's with the assumption Chris Middleton will be back, and maybe even uh, at Brooke Lopez as well. So I think the assumption is well, with all of that, you got to bring in an experienced coach to to try and keep this going. So when Adrian Griffin's name popped up, it was interesting, and then the more you learned about him, it became even more interesting. I think we can also become guilty of reading a little too much into how much of a hand Giannis had to play into this. I think it's as simple as Giannis meshed with him when they met and personality wise, that was going to be a big component because of this team being built on culture. So all those boxes being checked, I think it's a good hire in that 
the assumption is, and, and some of the things he said at the press conference, he's going to be more innovative than a guy like a, a Nick Nurse, who is a great tactician, any of these other names. They're guys where you have a track record, and I think you can kind of point to, well, he's going to run this for an offense, and he's going to do this defensively. And with Adrian Griffin, you don't really know. That can be bad. It can also be good. And some of the things he said at the press conference to me is is what the good is in that this is going to be different, especially defensively where the Bucs had been a really good defense under Bud for five years, one of the best in the league. But it was one specific defense that they ran, you know, over and over, regardless of the opponent. That worked a lot during the regular season. It worked in 2021, but we saw them run into issues in the playoffs the last two years. And, and Adrian Griffin from the onset of that press conference said, it's going to be about adaptability. You know, this isn't going to be running the drop defense or this isn't going to be just running zone. We're going to do a lot of different things and it's going to be matchup dependent. And I think that was maybe the biggest area Bucks fans are pointed to. Of, I hope I hear something like this because that was really one of the bigger frustrations the last two years. Definitely one of the biggest frustrations. And I think they did a little bit more tweaked a little bit in 2021 when you did get a t- PJ Tucker in not saying Tucker would have been a great addition to the last two years but as you mentioned the playing the drop defense hurt them in the playoffs quite a bit now we can see what Griffin can do now as the head coach and he's kind of making a couple interesting assistant coaching decisions already two former Milwaukee Bucks head coaches one in interim basis and uh, Terry Stotts and uh, Prunty coming back to Milwaukee to be on his bench. Thoughts on those two being added to Milwaukee? But you have like uh, Stotts and Prunty back now in Milwaukee, former head coaches as a buck. I guess what are your thoughts on his bench at the moment? Well, Terry Stotts is a really, really good hire because um, I thought that that the direction you went, I was kind of assuming you would, you would pick more of a, an offensive mind um, because as much as we want to associate Bud with offense, he was a very good offensive coach. And I think a lot of that was, he was the guy that ushered three point shooting into the Milwaukee bucks. And I, I can remember back to the first preseason game that the bucks played the first game played inside a Pfizer forum where, where Bud had just taken over and we knew through training camp and, and that that coaching change, they're going to do things differently than you did with Jason Kidd and uh, the aforementioned Joe Prunty for that last half season. Um, but I don't think we were ready for how different and, and the volume of threes that they started to put up there was uh, really eye popping. And then the way that you unlock Giannis offensively, too. So, but I think we we can have a tendency to remember him as an offensive guy for those two reasons. But make no mistake, I mean, Mike Budenholzer is a defensive coach. When you talk to him, the first things that come up is defense. That's what he's going to stress. I already mentioned this was one of the best defensive teams in the league for those five years under him. So for all those reasons, I kind of thought, and and oh, by the way, offense was really their shortcoming the last two years in the playoffs. And even 2021, when they won the title, the half-court offense wasn't great. It was an elite defense that that they rode to that championship. So for all those reasons, I, I kind of thought we'd see an offensive mind brought in as the new coach. And when you, you bring in Adrian Griffin, again, an unknown in terms of a head coach, but everything he said and his background, it leads you to believe he's more of a defensive mind. 
So the addition of Terry Stotts to me is huge because number one, you get that offensive mind, but also with Terry Stotts and Joe Prunty, these are two guys that have been head coaches or at least interim head coaches at the NBA level. And anybody will tell you it's one thing to have a plan, but you know, the old adage as Mike Tyson would say, everybody has a plan until you're punched in the mouth, but you can have a plan until you've actually slid down to that chair and you have to wear the whistle and call the timeouts. You don't know what that job is. So to have two guys, at least two guys in uh, Stotts and Prunty that you can lean on for those aspects, to me, that's huge. Uh, Joe Prunty brings some familiarity with a decent amount of this roster. And, um, and Terry Stotts, to me, it's just, I look back and I understand you, you had an elite offensive player in Damian Lillard, who's different offensively, obviously, than Giannis. Uh, but nine years, I believe it was, that, that Terry Stotts was in Portland with the Blazers. Their offense finished in the top five. I want to say in five of those nine years, and they were in the top ten, uh, six or seven of those nine years. So he's done a good job of cultivating and developing offense, and that's what we're looking for, as we said. So to bring in some fresh eyes, and I do think you know, every so often you reach this pattern It's not just at the NBA level. It's not just at sports. It's for all of us where you get five or more years of doing something and and you just need a different approach. And it's hard to argue that that isn't where the Bucs were these last couple of years, especially watching that offense. Obviously, the offense revolves around Giannis. And I was listening to you and Kane Pittman with the Lockdown Bucks podcast, and you were talking about Giannis and how the offense – you know, how, how they may have to change the offense with him. And you brought up an interesting about using him more as a screener. Is that something you feel Griffin potentially could try to do? Or I guess it's just one of those we just don't know yet. And do you think that could be beneficial for Giannis's long-term health if he's not a consistent ball handler, which he was a lot under Bud? I think it's... TBD, and I say that as somebody who's, who's kind of advocated for it, as you mentioned. Um, but look, we saw that really work. In I, I think the biggest success story of that was the semifinal series against the Nets, where Giannis became the screener, and that just freed things up offensively. Because I, I think part of it too is, as we saw against the Heat, a lot of it is matchup dependent. Where if Giannis is the guy with the ball in his hands at the top of the key, initiating the offense. For teams like the Heat that that are are coached by a guy like Eric Spolstra, who's one of the better minds in the game, but if you have a tactician of a coach, and more importantly, if you have the personnel to do this, it's an easier place for you to set up your defense and attack Giannis when he's the guy at the top of the key with the ball initiating things. You can load the paint, and you can prepare for things like a charge and wall him off. When he's the screener, it's not as easy because you're incorporating that two-man game. And again, a lot of success in 2021. It doesn't mean that, well, that's that's the only thing you need to change. That's the easy answer. I mean, it, it comes down to spacing, too, and who are the guys that are out there with Giannis. And I do believe that's a big reason why we didn't see as much of it in the regular season last year or even two years ago because of injuries and the players that were on or off the floor with Giannis that – it's great that he can be the screener, but you still need somebody that's a capable ball handler and who can also make a shot to present that threat. So um, to me, it it also kind of hinges on how do you fill out this roster and, you know, 
do the Bucks just say we're running it back and we don't we don't care how much this costs us and and we don't care what it's going to cost us down the road with this new CBA as well. And we're just bringing back most of these guys and we like the chemistry around Giannis. And, and this is one of the different things that we'll do. I know we kicked around some other theoretically easy changes or easier fixes too. I think one thing you would point to is, you know, the one shot or, or spot we never really see Giannis attack from is in the corner um, where it's, you know, the easiest three point shot out there. And We've seen Giannis take a lot of above-the-break threes. The other thing that's worth pointing out is in that press conference, you know, Adrian Griffin was talking about volume of threes and how they're going to get them. And if you read between the lines, he, he kind of mentioned or, or indicated it's going to be a different philosophy than we had under Bud. Not so much we're taking away the threes, but with Bud, you would hear let it fly all the time. And I, I want guys to take the shot. I don't want them thinking about it. And Adrian Griffin was was kind of stressing more quality over quantity. And to me, it's going to be interesting to monitor Giannis there, too, because we've seen him given that freedom to to pull up and, and shoot. And when he's in rhythm, it looks good. When he's not, it, it looks the opposite of good. So I'm curious to see how Adrian Griffin massages that and, and what he does with Giannis from that spot. But to tie it all together, I think the biggest part is I would advocate for him being used as a screener more, but the biggest thing for Giannis is that mid range. And we saw it start to develop two and three years ago. And it's kind of regressed, especially this past season. That to me is what unlocks it all. And that's going to be the biggest thing is can he consistently get that shot? Whether it is that Dirk Nowitzki S one legged turnaround that, that he had toyed with at times or the baby hook or anything from that spot inside the free throw line, that's the thing that's got to develop the most for this offense to really take off. And I was going to bring up the corner piece uh, in a minute. So you kind of beat me to that. Um, Talked about with Giannis, how Griffin new style of whatever he's going to bring could affect him. Another player, if he's back, it could change his Lopez and Lopez kind of redefined who he was nail, you know, being able to nail that outside three quite consistently at times as a buck. I guess what, if he comes back, what is his role in this offense? Pretty big question as well. Yeah. What is um, role that, and uh, I'm, I think on both sides of the ball, it's, it's interesting to examine because we pointed to, you know, you should use Brooke Lopez, a little bit more around the basket. And I think everybody kind of hammered on that. We saw it for a couple of games against the the heat in the first round. We saw it against the Hawks two years ago in the conference finals and for stretches against the nets as well. So he still certainly has that ability. So is that something that we're going to see not so much less of Brooke Lopez on the outside? Cause it's, it's especially if Giannis is on the floor and it, as you pointed, this is all assuming Brooke Lopez is back. But the minutes he's on the floor, you need Brooke Lopez outside the three-point line to help stretch the floor. But can you maximize him around the basket offensively is the big thing. And how you continue to build on that, I'm curious to see um, what Griffin does and really what what guys like Terry Stotts uh, do with that, assuming he's back. But to me, also defensively, I think we took a lot of what he did for granted the, the first few years here in Milwaukee, and that was – really highlighted the last two years and being a finalist for defensive player of the year 
one year removed from back surgery for a player in his mid thirties is certainly remarkable. Um, but when I listen to some of the things that, that Adrian Griffin said at his, at his inter, introductory press conference, you know, and, and talking about what they're going to do defensively, I mentioned playing different and, and being able to adapt was one thing, but also, you know, he mentioned quite a bit of aggressiveness and, and pressuring the ball. And you, you can't help but wonder, well, what does that mean for Brooke Lopez? Now you, if, assuming he's back, you can be aggressive and pressure the ball handlers knowing you got that guy behind you waiting at the rim. And you also have Giannis to help out a little bit more. Uh, but that's, that's a big if assuming that he's there and, and how aggressive do you want to be? And is this going to be an ultra switching type defense? Because those are the, the things we didn't hear as much detail of. We heard we're going to play different defensively. We want to be aggressive. We want to cause turnovers. We want to attack the glass and be an offensive rebounding team. And that's another big strength of Brooke Lopez. Um, but we didn't really hear how they're going to do it. I don't think we're going to hear that or see that until training camp starts. Middleton, another player who's kind of up in the air, has a player option that he could opt out. Just because he opts out doesn't mean he's going anywhere. The Bucks can extend him or they can just play him on that $40 million, which would definitely hamper a lot of the things they can do in regards to constructing the roster came out today that he just had a knee surgery looks to be ready to go by July, according to the article from the athletic in uh, Shams. And I guess with Middleton, I'm assuming Middleton's back, but I guess what Middleton are we going to see? The one that looked to struggle at times in the regular season when he first came back from the, the knee injury or the Middleton from two or three years ago, because coming, you know, he struggled with the knee, seemingly all season long, and now he has his, has the procedure. I guess is he going to have his legs back would be huge. And do you see him opting out and doing an extension that way, or do the Bucks give him an extension uh, on top of the one year deal to spread some money out? So I would assume he would opt out, um, just because you know, number one, that's. That's where the money is going to be for him. And especially when, when you're, you know, two straight off seasons of surgery. Now it, it becomes even more imperative to, uh, for lack of a better phrase, secure the bag for Chris Middleton. So um, with that in saying, I can either take 40 million or I could take that 40 million and turn into, let's say a hundred million. If theoretically it's a three year, hundred million dollar extension that he signed something along those lines where it's, it's less money annually, but it's more total money in the long run. And especially for a player, again, two straight off seasons with surgery in the last handful of years, he's had some injuries. I, I wouldn't call him injury prone, but he's had some injuries that he's dealt with and he's getting older. So I would assume for those reasons. And also it's not a great free agent class. So if he opts out, even though the, the growing belief and, and it seems like the consensus around insiders in, in the league is he's going to re-sign with the Bucks, But for all those reasons, it makes a lot of sense for, for Chris Middleton to opt out of the deal and then just sign a long-term deal with the Bucks. But, you know, also, I guess I, I viewed it as in the playoffs, you mentioned the up and down throughout the course of the year. And, and it was, it was a weird, strange borderline lost year for Chris in the regular season, especially. And I think it was just a really a culmination of things where it probably started 
in the bubble where you went from that long pause in 2020 that we all had, but the league to restart in essentially August bucks wrapped up in mid September and you were starting the season again in December. So you had about two and a half months of an off season to get ready and jump into the season. That season went all the way into late July Two days, three days after the Bucks won the championship, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday hop a plane, go to Tokyo. They're in the Olympics. You get back to town. You got three weeks, a month before the season starts again. Then you jump into another season. You get to the playoffs, and then your season is cut short by an injury. You rehab in the offseason, and you jump into a new season. So long story short, it was a lot that was compressed into, what, two and a half years for Chris Middleton. So I think that was part of what we saw in the regular season. Now I will point out he was very good offensively in the playoffs that we talked about some of their half court offense struggles. Chris Middleton was very good. If you're going to criticize anything you saw in the playoffs, it was defensively. And I choose to be optimistic and believe that a lot of that was just still coming back from that injury and that surgery and everything that we had just talked about of one season running into the other, that to me more than anybody on this roster Chris Middleton is a guy that could really use this five, four month offseason, the longest this team has had in years. It's going to benefit, I, I think, Chris Middleton better than anybody on this team. And you saw enough offensively to believe he can still be that guy. And the pairing with Giannis and on that end of the floor, maybe he does take a step back uh, defensively. But the hope is you implement some different strategies here. Or you, you implement some different systems and you develop some of those guys around him, you still have some very good individual defenders for at least two years that you know of, and Giannis and Drew Holiday. You may have another very good individual defender in Brooke Lopez as well. You can offset some of those things if he is on the decline on that on the floor, but he's vital on the offensive end, and I think we saw he still has that. Yeah, he's definitely vital on the offensive end, as you mentioned. The one... I guess one thing I would hope we don't see as much with Griffin, the Bucks pretty much had three primary ball handlers, Holiday, Giannis, Middleton. It didn't seem like Middleton seemed comfortable as a ball handler, and playoffs, Spolstra kind of exploited that, I feel, a little bit by pressing him more at uh, as he tried to bring the ball up. Do you think he would benefit from not being the ball handler as much as he's been in the past? Because it it looked like that was uh, a struggle for him at times. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh it's one of the familiar refrains for Bucks fans, but we've seen a lot of, of guys struggle with some of that uh, ball pressure from the heat and, and Jalen Brown struggled a lot more than Chris did. I think part of it is um, I would say I, I actually felt more comfortable with him than some other guys at times handling the ball. And again, it comes back to, to the first part of the conversation we had with, you know, we can talk about utilizing Giannis as a screener more and that being important, but the fact that he is one of their better ball handlers and at times he was their best. And I think that was a big component of it as well. Why it's difficult to say, Hey, you got to be the screener and we'll get you going on the two man game. When you may trust Giannis as the initiator and the ball handle a little more than you do those other two guys at times. So I, I wouldn't say take the ball out of his hands. And again, it has to do more with how do you round out the roster? Because to your point, it's not really a whole lot of options. Now, 
a lot of teams are like that where you don't really have a whole lot of options of, of who can handle the ball extensively and run your offense. Sometimes you just got two guys. Some even have just one. But the issue with the Bucks is they're all first unit guys that when it gets to the second unit, you know, Javon Carter, but he wasn't a big piece in the playoffs. Other than that, you don't have much depth. So to me, it, it kind of begs a, a, a bigger question of, well, talking about how, how hamstrung this team could be or handcuffed they could be at times of rounding out this roster. Do you need to explore ways to have more of a pure point guard, not necessarily to usurp Drew Holiday and, and push him out or push him to the two guard, but just behind Drew Holiday to help run that second unit a little more? Speaking of Drew, he uh, passed the, even the year they won the title, off the playoffs roll around, especially on the offensive side, doesn't seem to have the same offensive impact as he did. And I know he has it hands full as being that having to guard the top guy all the time. Um, any concern with Holiday's lack of, I guess, offensive production, especially in the postseason moving forward? Um, the, the, the true shooting numbers have, uh, have not been good to, to put it kind in, in three playoff runs. Um, that's another thing that I would look to with um, with Adrian Griffin and with a, a Terry Stotts as well to see what's the messaging to Drew and how do you maybe change Drew Holiday's approach? Because, um, you know, it's not just all negative. We do have to give him quite a bit of credit with the way he's developed some of his offensive game since he's come to Milwaukee, specifically with that step back jumper, um, I guess in theory only in the regular season, but it's become quite a nice weapon for him. But I am curious if a fresh set of eyes and a new coach and a different philosophy maybe hammers through some other actions for Drew Holiday of when you're in rhythm, we want you to take this shot, but we want you to use your size more that you're, you're maybe the most physical point guard in the league. You have a size advantage against most guys that are going to be matched up against you. And we've seen enough that he can use that to his advantage and he can finish around the glass with both hands. And I wonder if some of the messaging is just, look, we're not telling you not to take those shots. We want you to take them in rhythm, but I want you to really abuse and go to work on some of those smaller mismatches that you get and try to develop your offense around the rim a little bit more. And hearing uh, Bobby's name come up a lot as apparently the Lakers are interested in him. He's seemingly the only contract that you can try to trade if you want to try to get some more, potentially more assets. Grayson Allen, another one. Seems like the Bucks fans always want to trade him. This past year at the deadline, all offseason. Um. Do you see one of those two moving on with this roster in 2023, or do you see the, you find it more likely that they'll be back with this roster? Well, so I, I don't, I don't think you can go into the season and the only thing you do differently is just, we changed our coach. Um, I think there's going to be more change than that. Now we have kind of mentioned in passing a couple of times, it's not going to be easy with the new CBA. Um, and I'm still curious how that's going to work because as soon as that rolled out, a lot of us just kind of jumped to the assumption that it was going to be doom and gloom. And this was bad for the bucks and 
for the Warriors and the Clippers and potentially teams like the Celtics that have some high-priced contracts, and especially Boston this offseason with the, de- the, the decision on Jalen Brown. So I think when this came out, we all kind of assumed this is not going to be good. If, if you have high-priced contracts and you're a, a perennial tax team, those are the teams that are going to be hit hardest by it. We, a lot of us, we took that to mean you might see teams either walking away from guys and, and saying we can't afford to sign this guy, or you could theoretically see – some of these trades where it's, for example, the Warriors saying, well, we're going to move Jordan Poole and a second round pick for a first round pick and, and something else. You can't bring back cash anymore in the new CBA if you're a team like the Warriors. But try to said shed some of that money. It's interesting because uh, not to name drop, I was talking about this with Jim Paschke last week and, and it said the most fascinating thing about the CBA to me, this this new one, is it's basically – pushing it through in two years and in the past few instances of this when you've had maybe not radical but decent change with a cba the league has kind of rolled it out over a couple of years or three or four or five years the biggest one when we changed the eligibility to enter the nba draft this this wasn't a hey you got to go to college for at least a year and that starts next year good luck scouting and and changing all your reports that's not what they did here it's basically we're changing this. If you're a second apron team, it's going to be even more work for your GM. Good luck. It starts in July, and, and that's where we're at. So um, it, it's it's often not for a couple of years was the conversation that I had with Jim of you know, how do you navigate these CBAs? And as he pointed out, it, it usually takes two, three years before it seems like league-wide you have an idea of here's how you work in the CBA or here's some of the loopholes to get through it. So I went from thinking – Man, for teams like the Bucks, it's going to be tough to just run it back to wondering if we just see most of these teams treating this like a credit card in this offseason and saying, we're going to run it back. We're going to keep spending. When we get the bill, we'll figure it out. I may not have the money to cover all of it now, but I will in 30 days. And that's the approach for the league. For the Bucks specifically, you know, you mentioned uh, Grayson Allen and Bobby Portis. Pat Connaughton, I think you would have to throw in there as well, as those are the three contracts they have. That would be the movable deals that are those mid-range deals around, you know, seven, eight, ten million dollars that you're looking at. And coincidentally, that's the deal that it really seems like is being cut out of the league with this new CBA, that it's going to be a lot of max or super max deals and a lot of, you know, basically veterans minimum deals. Even the taxpayer mid-level figure has shrunken from about seven million to five. So the interesting part of this to me is it, it seems to have shrunk the middle class for players. And that's the other thing of wondering if, if we pegged this wrong initially is we said, well, teams like the Bucks, if you're in that second apron, your only reliance is, is basically going to be because so that second apron means you couldn't sign Joe Ingles. You don't have that taxpayer mid-level. You couldn't bring in a buyout player. So you couldn't bring in a Goran Dragic. Your draft picks starting next year are going to be frozen seven years out. So you can't include those in deals. So there's a lot of things that are taken away from you. But with those mid-range deals maybe shrinking, maybe it does increase chances for those teams that are in that apron to sign better players. If you're you're going to tell them, hey, there's a handful of teams that have the taxpayer mid-level, but it's only $5 million now. Or you can sign on a veteran's minimum for – 
$2.2 million, something like that, with a team that has a decent chance at winning a championship. It's a $3 million hit this year, but you might win a title, and then they have your bird rights, and they can pay you the following year like the Bucks did with Bobby Portis. So I do wonder about that, but to me those three names would be the ones you would point to of the possibility of being dealt in either a Bobby, a Grayson, or a Pat Connaughton. Because I kind of assume it's it's not just going to be the coaching change. And it's either going to be Chris Middleton or Brooke Lopez, for some reason, is not back here next year, or one of those three guys has moved. So the Bucks do have Jimmy Haslam's credit card to use now to uh, spend, 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 as he's now part of the ownership group. Um, you mentioned draft picks. I, I know they've moved around a lot of draft picks the last – uh, three, four years with, with trading for Holiday and then trading especially recently for Crowder. Mike, I they have a second-round pick this year, right, still? That's it, yeah. Is there – last year they got Camp with their first round. Second-round picks typically, typically don't really impact very much. I think the – Wara now in Indiana never really seen. Well, I would push back and say Sam Merrill set the NBA record for yeah. for team threes in a game, so he did yeah. have some impact. Well, I guess I more mean more recently. Yeah. Like you have some of the guys that go go above and beyond. But what is out there for the Bucks, and what do you think they're going to focus on with their draft pick this year? Because obviously they could use some younger depth than what they have and try to build that up a little bit. Yeah, um, you know, to your point, outside of the Heat and the Raptors, we, we haven't seen many teams develop second round. The Bucks did a decent job with it early um, a decade or so ago. And and when I say decent job, it's I think we really hang our hat on, well, Malcolm Brogdon won the rookie of the year. So that was who they developed the second round pick. But nonetheless, um, to me, part of it ties into what we learned from this new CBA and how teams are, are treating this because – I'm curious to see what the first day or two of free agency or the league year is going to be like. And if we see teams start to shed money or if we see guys not going to certain teams and then it starts to trickle out, well, they just determined we can't afford it for uh, the the purposes of, of one putting us in that second apron and, and what that's going to mean in the future. And, you know, we should also point out, the Bucks are hit with a repeater tax this year because of the amount of times they've been in the luxury tax, and that makes your tax penalty even steeper. So it, it's going to cost you a lot of money. Um, but to me, I'm going to be curious to see what the approach is and how teams are treating this because you know, two years ago when they won the title, um, there was a lot of moving parts, obviously, and – they were hard capped for the, the sign and trade reasons or the trade reasons as well. So it kind of forced their hand, but also when they restructured that roster and went from not so much focusing on depth, but focusing on our starting five and improving that it hard capped you and it, it cut down your available resources that they had to round out the roster with two second round picks because it was cheaper than signing veterans on a veterans minimum and, you know, that second round pick this year, I believe it's the second to last pick in the draft. So I, I don't think you're going to find anybody that's going to sit here and tell you you'll find a guy that's going to be a part of the rotation there. Um, but with everything else financially, are we going to see the same thing where you keep that pick 
and you you're basically having that player be a part of your 14 or even 13 man roster just because well it's cheaper to have this second round pick on the roster and we've already sunk a lot of money into the rest of it and last bucks question before we jump to get your thoughts on the NBA finals so far uh Jay Crowder Bucks get him from Phoenix. Hadn't played all season long before he became a Buck. Very up and down regular season for Crowder after he came to Milwaukee. Had some moments, but other moments it didn't look like the Jay Crowder of old. And then wasn't really used a lot in the playoffs. And it could have been performance-based because he did struggle at times on the defensive end. Or it could have been rotational. What are your thoughts on him? And do we see him back in a Bucks uniform, do you think? Well, I, I think you would have to assume a coaching change would be more favorable for Jay Crowder to, to be amenable to, to come back to the Bucks because of what you indicated in that I don't think he played at all in game five and, and did not play all that much in that series. Um, so maybe it, it's simple as it's a different coach. And and meeting with that coach and saying, hey, here's what we envisioned for Jay Crowder. But also, I know Jay Crowder kept himself in shape. I don't think anybody's disputing that. And that was evident. But, like, game shape is much different from being cardio-wise in shape. And I, I do think part of it was it was just a long layoff for Jay Crowder. So it was going to take time and not just – well, he needs a couple of weeks, you know, to, to learn the system, to learn the teammates. I think it was going to be longer than that. And I think we were honestly fooling ourselves. So um, the other part of it is not just for Jay, but you look at, to me, three of them, the more under the radar, interesting names on, on the roster this summer, we spent so much time on Chris Middleton and, and Brooke Lopez. And then those other three guys of, well, do they potentially trade one of these three? You know, to me, the the under the radar, keep an eye on this, is what do they do with Jay Crowder you mentioned, but also Joe Ingles and Javon Carter because those are, are two other guys they can bring back. It's going to cost you money. And like we said, it's it's basically times four where they're at with the repeater tax. Of every dollar you spend, multiply that with what you're paying out in tax penalties. But are the bucks kind of at the point where it's going to cost us a lot of money in terms of the tax dollars we're shelling out. And it means we're going to stay in that, that second apron and that's going to continue to play a big role for years to come here. But we feel like we can win a title within these two years again with Giannis. And at this point you have to address it right now. If it's a two year window with Giannis's contract with drew holiday's contract and the age of this team. Um, I wonder, do you have to bring back all of those guys, Javon Carter, Jay Crowder and Joe Ingles, if for no other reason than whatever you sign them to, that becomes a tradable contract or another asset for you to deal. Now, it it changes things with this CBA in terms of if you're a second apron team, what you can do with trades. You can't aggregate salaries. You can't bring back more, but you'd still like to have some of those chips to play with at the table. And if you let them walk, you can't do that. And I I do I don't know if odds the right word not odd but there are th- the three guys you mentioned uh, two guys you mentioned plus one more Ingles Crowder uh, Ingles sorry Ingles Carter and Leonard were three guys who were at the press conference the other day through all three of them pending free agents I don't know if that's an indication that 
they're either going to be back in Milwaukee or they would like to be back in Milwaukee. So I guess that's something to keep an eye on. And the NBA Finals, the Nuggets are up 2-1. Um, I guess what are your thoughts so far on the Finals and who do you think is going to win it and how many games do you think it's going to go? I thought before the, the series started, I thought the Nuggets would win in six. Um, I think on paper, the Nuggets are clearly a better team. And I think if, if you just uh, gave the blind resume and said, here's team A, here's team B, I think everybody would pick the Nuggets to win in five or a sweep. And and Denver is the best playoff team I have seen in years. You know, me, like I, I'm obviously biased in that Bucks team in 2021, I thought was was pretty good, especially the way that they overcame things uh, without Giannis and winning on the road in the game seven for the first time in franchise history. But if we're being honest with us, so they were up and down throughout that playoff run. Denver has not been. Denver has been one of the best playoff teams I have seen in maybe over a decade. They've been that good. And Nikola Jokic has been that good. So I picked Denver to win in six before this series started. I'm not going to deviate from that. Uh, I, uh, you're also cognizant of Everybody has picked against Miami for, for three rounds now, and they just keep winning. I have an immense amount of respect for, for Eric Spolstra and for Jimmy Butler, for that matter, as well, as much as I hate the Miami Heat for personal reasons. Um, but I, I would stick with that pick of, of Denver to win it in six. And to me, it's, you know, I, I hope people appreciate what they're watching in Nikola Jokic. And, um, you know, this is... Bill Simmons used to always have the adage of for movies and everything else, um, the championship belt of, well, who, who, which actor would carry the championship belt for this year? And we do the same with who's the best player in the, in the world. Um, as much as we love Giannis, it's tough to dispute that Nikola Jokic is not the best player in the world right now. What he's done throughout this playoffs is absolutely incredible and and I think the big thing is when the ball is in his hands it just seems like nothing goes wrong for the Denver Nuggets so that's really what struck me throughout this playoff run uh, more than anything more than watching them during the regular season and and this offense is just incredible that you have capable shooters you have versatile guys and what Nikola Jokic does with the ball it's it's unlike anything that most of us, at least in, in people around our age group, have, have seen. I think the only comp is, you know, if if people are our parents' age would, would always mention Arvidas Sabonis, and especially if, if you, for some reason, had a chance to see him uh, playing European basketball decades ago. But the Arvidas Sabonis we saw come to Portland with the Blazers, you saw flashes of it, but that was nowhere near the Arvidas Sabonis that was playing in uh, in what Lithuania for that team and and uh, with the national teams, this version of Nikola Jokic is basically I think the closest thing, maybe even better, based off everything you've heard about that team and that version of Arvidas Sabonis. This is the closest comp we've seen to it. Yeah, he he can beat you so many ways offensively that his. So he's not the best defender, clearly, but I think he can beat you so many ways offensively that it doesn't really matter because he can either find the open man passing the ball, nail a pull-up three. You know, He basically can do whatever he wants with the basketball in his hands. And like I said, I think that cancels out what he brings you defensively 
the Heat try to attack him when he's on the floor on defense, but that's fine. He's gonna he's gonna kill you on the other end even more so than you kill him on defense. So definitely, he's definitely showing this postseason that he's you know he's and I know he's a, won the last two MVPs. So I'm not, I don't want to shortchange him at all. He's a talented player, but doing at the biggest stage, those people that may not have seen too many of his games because they don't watch Denver Nuggets games too often, definitely probably seen one of the best player, if not the best player currently in the world. And he's a, yeah, he's he's the best, and it's it's yeah. same as Giannis. You know where Giannis won back to back MVPs. You knew going into that that following season unless you average 50, 20, 10 in this season, you're, you're probably not winning a third straight MVP, but he was just as good that season and his team won a title. And here, Nikola Jokic, I think the big difference is Nikola Jokic was the MVP yeah. this season. I mean, all three of those guys, Giannis included, were certainly deserving, uh, but Nikola Jokic would have gotten my vote for MVP, but it was the same thing where he had won two straight. You knew the narrative of we can't give, three straight MVPs to a guy that hasn't won anything yet. And he's answered those calls that I I think even if the Nuggets somehow do not win this series and don't win the title, I think Nikola Jokic has silenced every single doubter he had coming into this season. Yeah, he definitely has. And before I do let you go, uh, I know, you know, you Bucks guy, uh, this year, you know, Bucks studio host, Bucks radio network, and studio host, pregame, postgame. This year, you got the opportunity to uh, put the headset on for the home games. I guess, what was that experience like for you, being the uh, color commentator this season with Dave Kane on those home games? Because great job doing it. I enjoyed hearing you call the games, not just when I was sitting in the studio listening, but driving around or listening to on the radio. So I guess kind of explain that experience, what that was like. Well, thank you. It's the first uh, positive feedback I had on the role from from any listener. No, um, uh, no, it was it was fun. Uh, I obviously, I you know, I grew up a, a Bucks fan, and and listening to uh, in the early days, at least for me, Howard David, and uh, eventually Ted, who I got a chance to work with, and Dennis Krause doing that role, and and even on the TV side, I'm fortunate that I've I've gotten to work with and know and consider some of those other names, you know, like, like Dennis, like, um, like Jim Paschke and John McLaughlin, even I've gotten to know them and consider them friends and, you know, listening to them and growing up, you know, knowing this is what I've wanted to do and just pulling from that experience, but, but getting feedback from, from those guys and learning from them along the way. And, you know, the other name I didn't mention is, is Dave, who has made it incredibly easy to uh to do that job and and is one of the easier guys to work off of and work next to that that's the other thing that you know made it so fun and and rewarding because it's a fun job and it's a job that you know anybody listening or or watching this would obviously love to have and i think that's part of going through this is is those are the types of things that you want to do and it's not lost on me that it's incredibly fortunate to get to do something uh, like this that so many other people would dream of. And, you know, it's one of 30 jobs that, that get to say I, I get a chance to do this. Um, 
but it it's it's fun not just because it's something that you love to do but because of the people that I get a chance to work with you know every day and doing it and Dave and Ryan Elliott our engineer too who who makes the job so easy so to me um I was just fortunate that I got to at least for that year um and, and we'll see if there's more to come but I, I got to kind of live out a childhood dream and I get to do it with a group of people that I truly do not only respect but I enjoy working with them. And I think all of us bring out the best in each other. I'm sure your uh, producers are included in that too, right? (laughs) (laughs) Some some of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, Free agency coming up, draft coming up. Going to be a lot of uh, stuff to discuss Bucks wise and uh, excited to hear that. And I know even though the season's not happening, unfortunately anymore, I know you still have the, uh, the podcast with the with the TMJ, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes, uh, haven't uh, updated it quite as much as I would hope, but we have that. We have uh, the Lockdown Bucks podcast, which I've had to step into uh, quite a bit more this uh, this off season. And as as you know as well, we're doing a live version of that show at the end of of June, I think the 28th uh, at Broken Bat in Milwaukee. So anybody any Bucks fans in the Milwaukee area that'll be in town on June 28th. Uh, we encourage you to stop by as well, a chance to meet your uh, Bucks podcast heroes in Frank Madden and Kane Pittman and uh, Eric name. Our, our pal will be there as well. Camille Davis. So uh, it should be a fun event to, to do that at the end of the month as well. Yep. I'm planning on coming. Can't, you know, got to go and heckle you a little bit, you know, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I've talked to Kane, in the past and I'm looking forward to, you know, actually finally getting to meet him in person. So, but with that, uh, thank you for those tuning in, watching live or going to be watching it throughout the remainder as it being up and going to be listening to the show. when that is recorded anywhere podcasts are found that will be posted tomorrow morning and I'll get back at you next week.